Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs. That man you hear on the other line outside Portland, Oregon is Ryan Buckley. It is Monday night, November the 5th. 2018. It is now 8.39, just a shade, just a, a tick before 8.40 here on the West Coast. Ryan, another Monday night football in the books. The Titans go in deep in the heart of Texas and take it to the Dallas Cowboys, who are now officially a dumpster fire at 3-5. and five. That was, you know, not the best game in the world, but I always like to see the Cowboys get beat up on, especially the way they lost... Uh, I'm excited for this show. Another tremendous weekend of college and pro football now behind us. We've got hoops going on the pro hardware. We've got college hoops about to start tomorrow night. I'm feeling fine. How are you feeling? Feeling fine is a good way to say it. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling excellent. Uh, as we'll get into here shortly, I had a, I had a really good weekend. Uh, it was a weekend devoid of work conflict in high school football, so it was the first kind of uh, full weekend I'd had in a while, it involved uh, a little live football down in Eugene. It involved lots of uh, NFL football as well. So I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, unpack it all. It was a good weekend, all in all. Well, keep unpacking there, my man, because that's your good of the week. You got to go to Altson Stadium to see your beloved Ducks. Tell me about it. Yeah. So um, a couple weeks ago, I got the day off uh, to. In- for, for anyone who's not familiar, I usually work on uh, Oregon Home Saturdays doing some social media work for the radio station that I work for. I uh, got the Saturday off and uh, relinquished my duties to somebody else, and uh, my brother was in town all the way from Boston. And uh, so the two of us, in addition to uh, my mom and uh, my mom's boyfriend, uh, we all went down to Eugene for the game. We got there about four and a half hours early. Um, we have, uh, I have a bunch of college friends who share a tailgate pass and they, they bring quite the setup. They've got it down to a science. One of the guys drives a really big pickup truck. He, uh, he rolls all the stuff in. They set up two of those kind of, uh, pop-up tents. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, if there's any inclement weather and, and really the weather was, was pretty nice. And that's part of my good is it was just a good crisp fall day. It, uh, it felt like football weather out there. Uh, but there's some cover. Um, they, they whip out the stoves and the burners they cooked, uh, and they always, they do something different for food every single week. And it's, uh, cool. it's pretty impressive. It's, it's beyond just the, uh, kind of standard burgers and dogs. Uh, this week they did, uh, they did Buffalo chicken bites and, uh, and they did homemade gumbo. So they nice. made, uh, they had a big old pot, pot of gumbo and some white rice and, uh, they were outstanding, and there was uh, obviously plenty of beer and liquor flowing. The result of the game was uh, was a good one for the Ducks. They uh, they rolled in Chip Kelly's return to Austin, which uh, he got a nice ovation for, and rightfully so. But uh, all in all, it's just it's good to be back. I know you've uh, you've been to a college football game this season. I had not to this point, um, and so it was just good to be back at one of those atmospheres to kind of uh, come together with family and friends on a game day, get some uh, some nice, good, crisp football weather, uh, have some good food and beverage with some good folks, and uh, and come away with a win. So all in all, just an outstanding Saturday from the tailgating department, which is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, you know I'm, I'm envisioning it now. It sounds like a great day. I've never been to a game at Altson Stadium, but I'd, I'd love to go. It's probably going to take a visit from... 
Cuse or Bama to get me up there. Although, you know, I'll never say never, but these days it's so hard for me to get away for a full weekend without the kids. It's, you know, I don't really want to go to a game that doesn't involve the Orange or the Crimson Tide. And No, that's, I, that's 100% understandable. Yeah, I just wish one of them would schedule some more West Coast games. Neither one of them get out here for football or basketball. Although, uh, the College Football National Championship is going to be at Levi's Stadium in early January. So I've had that circled on my schedule. On my, calendar for about six years now since it's been announced and it's looking <laughs> yes, it's looking better by the day isn't it but uh, yeah it I, is I, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch but that you know if I could just roll right in uh to my good of the week and I'm going to stay on the topic of college football and it, another great college football Saturday we anticipated it being one of the best if not the best Saturdays of the year from a competition standpoint I'm not sure that it was, but as we get here now, we're past Halloween. We're gonna we're coming up now on the second Saturday uh, of November, this coming Saturday, and we've got basically five weeks of the season left, including Championship Saturday. So the the Saturdays are counting down rapidly as they always do. Uh, it was really a big weekend relative to the college football playoffs, starting with the aforementioned number one ranked Crimson Tide of Alabama who marched into Baton Rouge, which by all accounts from everybody you read about who was there, it was the biggest party of the year in college football. Just an off-the-charts atmosphere. You only get to see so much of that through the television, obviously. Um, But it certainly looked that way on CBS as well. You had the number one team in the country playing the number three team in the country. Uh, The SEC West Championship on the line. Alabama had won seven games in a row against their rival uh, LSU Tigers from Baton Rouge. And everything was sky high when the game kicked. Uh, And then pretty much from there on, it was all Alabama. You know, I mean, Alabama put on an absolutely dominating performance on the number three team in the country. And when you look at this era now, in the 11th year of the Nick Saban era at Alabama, Obviously, they've had some huge wins, some huge games. Um, If you look at it from just a regular season perspective, I think this was in the top three or four most impressive wins they've ever had under Saban. Just the fashion that they did it in that environment at night uh, against a very quality opponent for LSU. Alabama dominated both lines of scrimmage. They dominated every phase of the game. You know, they didn't completely, it's not like they won it. 56 to nothing, but they won it extremely convincingly. LSU really never was in the game. Uh, they have to be. They weren't extremely, ever a real threat. They weren't never ever a real, real threat, threat to win that game. Um, I, I just thought Alabama played just an, an unbelievable game, and I think that you know nearly flawless. I think that the the national fans have gotten to the point, and I completely understand it. Uh, people are so tired of Alabama winning all the time. Uh, particularly the fans and the teams in the SEC. I, I, I totally understand it. I totally get the argument that it's taking some of the fun out of this season. Um, I get it. I do. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it, man? I mean, this team is unlike anything we've ever seen in college football history. I don't think that they're be- I don't think that this team is unbeatable. I do think the list of teams that can beat Alabama on any given Saturday is a very short list. Um, I, I think they still have a lot of tough games ahead of them. 
I don't think it's a fait accompli that they're going to win the championship. But just looking at this game on Saturday, Alabama was totally awesome. Uh, I want to get your take, and then I want to mention some of the other big wins on Saturday because there were some other great performances out there around the country. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... I agree with you in wholeheartedly in the about in the convincing nature of the Alabama win. I was uh, I was kind of expecting this. I I picked Alabama uh, to you win did. big in our uh, or at least to cover. Uh, I, I thought that that was going to be a three touchdown win, if not more. It turned out to be more. Uh, they, they just they were they outclassed LSU in absolutely every department. Um, but the other the other thing, I, w- I thought that uh, Northwestern might give Notre Dame a little bit of a scare. They did not. I thought that, uh, I thought that really the, the team that now moved into that LSU spot, and presumably we, we would imagine for the college football playoff is going to be Michigan. They looked awesome they against did. Penn State. And they look like it, they look nasty. That defense is really good. And granted, you know, I know that the, you know the you don't have a bunch of offensive world beaters in the Big Ten, but um, I think that they. I'm really looking forward to that Michigan Ohio State matchup now um, because I want to see what that defense does against that offense. Uh, I think Ohio State, you know, they look a little bit lost right now. They almost, in fact, lost to Nebraska, which was uh, a little, should be a little bit alarming if you're. A they Buckeyes were lucky fan, to win but, that game. Yes, they were, um, but uh, Michigan to me, looks very much legit. They look every bit as tough as uh, Clemson and Notre Dame do at this point. I know that Michigan lost to Notre Dame early. I think if you if the two teams played again, I would I would back Michigan this time. So uh, I, I'm interested in the way this picture is coming together. Of course, uh, just as soon as we think we know what that picture looks like, we're it's uh, almost feels inevitable. We'll get more chaos. Uh, not sure exactly what that's going to be. Maybe that's uh, in the form of Boston College this week on Chestnut Hill. We'll see. Yeah, um, I was going to rank sort of my wins on Saturday relative to the playoffs, just in terms of how Mm -hmm. impressive they were. I thought Alabama was number one, uh, Michigan number two, then West Virginia to win the way they did in Austin, Texas, going for it, uh, going for two in the win there with little to no time left on the clock was extremely impressive for West Virginia. They still only have one loss. Then I thought Georgia going into Lexington, Kentucky and beating up Kentucky the way they did was extremely impressive. Then I'd probably go with Notre Dame going into Northwestern. Not an easy place to play for them. That was a close game, Ryan. They they were only up three with about four minutes left, and then the quarterback got loose down the left sideline. Notre Dame's had more close games than any of these teams that are in the playoff mm-hmm. hunt. Um, and, you know, they are Notre Dame's Notre Dame. They're a good team. They struggle to some degree almost every week. But I still think they're a really good team. Uh, and then Oklahoma got all they could handle on Saturday night down in Lubbock against Texas Tech. They can put up a ton of points. Kyler Murray can really play, but their defense is terrible. I mean, you know. Their, their defense just isn't good. There, there's really no other way to say it. And then Washington State, I don't know if you were able to stay up late on Saturday. I struggled, and I did stay up till the end of that game against Cal. They really should have lost that game at home. It was really not a well-played game by either side. A defensive struggle, but both teams kind of struggled and, and seemed flat to me. Uh, Cal, I... Did you see what they did with Justin Wilcox was shuttling in this sort of wildcat change of pace quarterback? I don't know his name, number five. 
He was coming uh, in. Brandon McIlwain. McIlwain. Yeah. I mean, he, he was coming in like on second downs, it seemed like, the entire second half. He threw a, a, a just a back-breaking interception late. I don't know what That's they... what he does. He's terrible. I don't know why Wilcox is playing him. I think Wilcox is a pretty good coach, but yeah. I thought they had a good thing going before they put McIlwain in the game. I mean, he single-handedly lost them the game uh, that they lost to UCLA, that UCLA got their first win of the season. He single-handedly lost them the game to Oregon. I think he turned the ball over five times in that one between interceptions and fumbles. Uh, he, I mean, he's turned the ball over like 11 times in just five games this season. He's not good, and I don't know why Wilcox keeps putting him out there. Yeah, if Cal had a program where more than ten people actually cared about their team, I think that this would I think that this would be getting a lot more play nationally, what he's doing. It makes no sense. And this was really one of the first games where I've watched a bulk of a Cal game. And it honestly, I mean, you, you detailed it better than I am, but it, it defied description the way he was shuttling McElwain in and out. Not that Gerber is the second coming of Aaron Rodgers by any stretch of the imagination. No, certainly not. But he's clearly a better player at the quarterback He's position. a better quarterback. Much gives better quarterback. Gives your team a better chance to win. And, and I guess part of it, I've heard part of it is that, like, Garbers wasn't Wilcox's guy or something like that, and that he wants to move more in a direction like he can do with McIlwain, but he's just picking the wrong time to do it. Uh, it, it McIlwain crazy. does not give him a better does not give him a better chance of winning. There's no doubt, and and he cost him a big win, and they could have had wins over Washington and Washington State in the same season, uh, which that you know they've got a halfway decent season going for them. Yeah. Um, and yep. you know I just thought he coached himself. Out of the game. So those were the sort of ranks of it. Uh, real quick, let, let's go down the remaining schedules for each of these teams if we could. Uh, just to give the fans out there a little taste. Alabama, all of them have three games left. Alabama hosts Mississippi State and Auburn. And then also they play the Citadel, which, you know, obviously that's not a game. Uh, West Virginia. <laughs> West Virginia hosts TCU this week. Then they go to Oklahoma State. Then there's a massive game on the Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, where they're going to host the Sooners in primetime. That's going to be a huge game. Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan goes to Rutgers this week, who might be the worst team in the entire Power Five. Then they host Indiana. Then they go to the Horseshoe in Columbus uh, on the Saturday after Thanksgiving to play Ohio State. The Irish host the Seminoles this weekend. Then they play Syracuse at Yankee Stadium the following Saturday. And then they go to USC. Uh, the Dogs host Auburn. And then they also have uh, Georgia Tech at home still to play their annual out-of-conference game. And then Oklahoma has Bedlam this week at home. Then they play the Jayhawks with their lame duck coach. And then, as I said, they go to Morgantown to face the Mountaineers. And then Wazoo finishes up this weekend going to Boulder, then home to Arizona, and then the Apple Cup they host Washington Huskies. So really, if you compare the, all those teams' schedules, they're all pretty even. Um, and then, of course, everybody but Notre Dame will eventually get to a conference championship game. You could have in the Big 12 a really weird situation where West Virginia and Oklahoma could play back-to-back. -back. They could finish the season yeah. in Morgantown yeah. and then play again the following weekend in the Big 12 championship. That would be super weird. And then, of course, the SEC championship game's already set. Oddly, um, Georgia and Alabama will rematch again in Atlanta from their national championship game last year. So that's kind of how it all sets up. There are some teams on the outside looking in, but these are all your front runners in the driver's seats who all 
sort of control their own destiny, so to speak. And so we've basically got a four-week sprint to the finish here, Ryan. And, you know, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be incredible. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and obviously, I didn't couple... mention Clemson in there. I, I, I should have mentioned Clemson. Um, <coughs> excuse me. They're the other team. They have to go to Boston College this Saturday. And, and then, then they're they home against play. Duke and home against South Carolina. Correct. Home against Duke and then home against the Gamecocks. By far the easiest road. But this Saturday at night is is sort of the ABC primetime game at Boston College. That's probably yeah, the think, game of the weekend. I think they're getting game day, too. They yeah. are. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be a good one. I mean, I, I don't know that – I mean, Clemson has been – I saw a stat on them. Their last four weeks, I believe they've outscored their opponents 240 to 36, which yeah. is just astonishing. Uh, I mean, they, they are just beating people down and with no sign of slowing down. But Boston College is – I don't know if, if I want to say plucky is the right word for them, but they're gritty. So, uh, I, you know, I don't think that they've got a ton of talent. They certainly don't outclass Clemson, but uh, maybe they can give them a fight, and uh, I, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, and one last note on Clemson, and then we'll move off college football. It's interesting how, you know, Dabo went with Trevor Lawrence, which is what I think he wanted to do the whole time, because I think he views him as a more dynamic player in the passing game, and he knows he's going to have to score a lot of points. He's, he's basically gearing up to play Alabama, or maybe Georgia, but Alabama specifically for the fourth straight year in the playoff. He thought Lawrence can score more points because he knows he's going to need that against Tua and Alabama. And interestingly, they, they drop a 70-burger on your boy Bobby Petrino in Louisville, and I think Lawrence only had like I think, 80 I think yards it was even, passing. You know, I think it was a 77-burger is what 77 it 77-burger. But Lawrence <laughs> ended up with, only, with under 100 yards throwing the football, which is almost, uh, you know, hard to believe. But that's because we didn't happened. have to. Yeah, yeah. But, but Clemson's firing all, on all cylinders, and uh, you know they 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 have the easiest road to the playoffs by far. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see what happens. It's just interesting when you look at that other division. I, I guess it's the coastal. Uh, I think Clemson's in the Atlantic, and and the other divisions the coastal. I don't even know. My alma mater's in it, and I still can't tell you what what each division's <laughs> called. I mean, that's how terrible it is. Uh, but, you know, Pitt now leads that other division. So that, that gives you an idea of just how bad the ACC is this season. So, uh, But that's enough. That's enough college football. We've gone on and on forever. But I'm, I'm already excited for another great Saturday. Um, and actually, the Cuse plays on Friday, their final home game of the season. They're going to host that's right, against Louisville. aforementioned your boy, Bobby P., and the Louisville Cardinals are coming to the Carrier Dome. So, so not my boy. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But let's move on to your bat of the week. Yeah, so my bat of the week actually uh, keeps us in the college realm. And that is, uh, my bat of the week is Ed Orgeron uh, post-Alabama beatdown. And he's done a tremendous job this season. I think that he has far exceeded the expectations most people, including the people uh, who are LSU backers had for him? Uh, they they have been uh, t- tough as nails. They've gotten what they've needed out of their offense. Really, everything uh, for LSU has been uh, impressive this year to this point. But they just got handled. They got outclassed against Alabama, and I was disappointed in what he had to say after the loss. In that he basically put it on the players, and he didn't say we were out executed or we made too many mistakes. He basically said, "I don't have." 
good enough players to win this game. Uh, his quote was, quote, I told the guys the table was set, the fans were great, the energy all day. There was the want to, but hey, we got beat at the line of scrimmage. I got to recruit better defensive linemen, got to recruit better offensive linemen. Same old thing, got to beat Alabama at the line of scrimmage. He then went on to say, when you max protect, you're doing everything you can in protection and they're beating you. You have to look at personnel. So he's basically saying our players aren't good enough. And considering he's one of the best recruiters in the country and LSU perennially has one of the best recruiting classes in the country, I don't necessarily believe that it is the player's problem. I I think Alabama's players are coached better. I think maybe they work harder. The player development may be better. And yes, they still probably get better players than LSU, but only marginally so by when you consider what these guys, what these players in this region uh, are like. I mean, LSU's roster is as loaded with talent as just about any other in the country. And I don't like Orgeron putting that all on his guys that he brought in. Uh, I mean... You can say we got beat. You can say we got manhandled. But don't say these are the wrong guys. These are the guys you're playing with. These guys are not getting paid, as we know. Orgeron's the one making all the money on on the games they're winning for him. And they've been total horses for him all season. And now he's crapping all over them after a loss to one of maybe one of the best teams of all time. So I, I didn't like it. Uh, I, maybe he didn't mean by it what I'm taking out of it, but uh, I thought it was kind of Bush league for a guy who's done a really nice job this year. Yeah, really well said. Um, my thoughts on it are he's right and you're right. Um, I think that they did get beat at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. First and foremost, that was very obvious watching that game as closely as I did. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I think for him to throw his players under the bus like that is total bush, but it's not out of his character. I mean, that's sort of always been the knock on him, is that he is a good recruiter. As far as X's and O's go, he's lacking. Um, He has the highest paid assistant coach in the country and his defensive coordinator, Dave Aranda, Um, As far as the talent goes, LSU and Alabama have the most players in the NFL of any program. I think when the season started, LSU actually had one more player in the NFL than Alabama. They are not lacking for talent, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. They, They, year in and year out, have as good of a defense as anywhere. But they have not had a quarterback in Baton Rouge for really any of these eight losses in a row that they've suffered now to Alabama, and Alabama, before this year, you know, hasn't had a great pro-style quarterback either, with the exception maybe of A.J. McCarron, who's now the backup for the Raiders, but outside of him, uh, Alabama's been locking a quarterback as well. Um, Now, Tua Tagovailoa is the difference maker for Alabama, plain and simple. They're the same team they've always been, but their quarterback is way better than they've ever had. And, and that's really the difference in their team relative to every other team in the country right now. If you really want to break it down in a sort of simplified way that's easy for the layperson to understand. As far as that game goes, LSU was exposed again at quarterback. And that's Ed Orgeron's fault because he has to go out and get a better quarterback. He, he had like four going into spring ball 
And then he got the, the late transfer from Ohio State, Joe Burrow. Burroughs was highly recruited. I mean, he went to Ohio State. Now he's at LSU. They're two of the top five programs in the country. He should be better, but Ordron and his staff have to do a better job of developing him as well. He was not ready for that, and it showed on Saturday night under the bright lights of Tiger Stadium, plain and simple. If LSU had had a quarterback that was even remotely in the class of Tua Tagovailoa, that game would have been vastly different. It would have, because Alabama wouldn't have been able to just rush four and still get to the quarterback. But to your earlier point, they were able to do that. Quinnen Williams, number 92 for Alabama, you know, who came into the season as a virtual unknown, is now making himself into a top five pick in the NFL draft. And he lived in the backfield all night on LSU's <laughs> yeah, offensive line. As did number 49, Isaiah Bugs, who's from Louisiana and Ordron could have and should have recruited, as was number 32, Dylan Moses, the other inside linebacker who's from Louisiana. He had committed to LSU, and then he ended up going to Alabama. So, I mean, the list is long. The, the corner for Alabama, Savion Smith, who had a hell of a game, transferred away from LSU and is now at Alabama. So Saban has beaten Ordron and, and his predecessor, Les Miles, in the recruiting battle. But LSU always has plenty of talent, but it's the quarterback position where they continue to lack. And so, again, Ordron's right, but he shouldn't throw his players under the bus like that. That's totally Bush. But he and has that's a habit. He didn't say, and he didn't say quarterback play. He mostly said line play. Yeah. And I guess, like, he, he's a line guy. So I feel like that's on you and your staff as much as anything. And then I think what a good coach does in that situation is say, I didn't have these guys ready to go. And yeah. then, and you put it on, but you, but you don't put it on them, especially when they're the ones who got you here. You certainly don't put it on them in the public to the media. No, you know exactly. You, maybe it's you just put a it, bad look yeah, as you, a leader. You put it on them in the film room on Monday and all week at practice. Absolutely, but not to the media. To the media, you say this was all on me. I've got to do better, and that's the end of the press conference. You don't do yep. what he said. Totally classless on his part, but really. Not that surprised. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but yeah. it, I didn't like the way he handled it. No, I, I think you're totally right. I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, okay, let's go to more leaders who aren't doing a great job in the leadership <laughs> department. Uh, for my bad of the week, I'm looking at your Los Angeles Lakers, who are now, mm. I think, let's see. I've I've got I you know I did, did a little research here I want to get this right. Uh, they're four and six, and they are if the playoffs started today after ten games they wouldn't be in it, which really isn't all that alarming. But you know they got LeBron to come in in the off season, and then they thought they were going to get either Paul George or somebody else, and nobody really wanted to come play with LeBron. So now they're kind of left holding the bag here with Luke Walton, who's now in his third season as head coach. He overachieved by almost anybody's estimation last year. He actually had one of the best defenses in the league last year, which to me speaks highly of his coaching ability. But yet Magic Johnson, the president of the Lakers, apparently now wants to part ways with Luke Walton. And for the first time that I can remember, a LeBron coach team who's sort of struggling, it's not being sort of put on LeBron that he wants to part ways with the coach. Magic and his GM, Rob Palinka are sort of taking the fall for this. 
to your earlier point about Ordron, it's not really that big of a story to me that, you know, things aren't going great in Lakerland as far as at the top with LeBron being in the mix there and them off to a tough start. What is surprising is that this got out to the media. You know, Palinkin Magic yes. had a meeting with Luke and it got out to the media and that's not good. And who, you know, we can speculate as to who put it out there. Uh, Magic is now pretending like he's pissed off that it's out there, but I'm not sure how much, uh, how genuine that is. Um, the whole thing is just sort of a mess and it's really not that surprising. I feel bad for Luke who by all accounts is a great guy and I think a really, really good coach. And he deserves a chance here to coach more than 10 games with LeBron and this talent that he didn't assemble. You know, So if Magic and Palinka are pissed off about the product on the floor, they really need to look at the mirror a little bit because they're the ones who put this team out here. They're the ones who brought LeBron in. Obviously, bringing LeBron in is a great thing, but they didn't bring much else. They're going with JaVale McGee at center, who's having a nice season, but he's really all they've got in the middle. And now there's talk of them going out and buying out Tyson Chandler from the Suns because he's not really needed now with the young man DeAndre Ayton, who's off to a good start. Uh, they let Brooke Lopez go. You know, that the suspensions from that fight... Um, but the Rockets aren't helping the Lakers either. Brandon Ingram has missed four games. He's back now, I think. Uh, but losing him for four games was tough. Losing Rajon Rondo for three games was tough. They need all the help they can get right now. You know, Lonzo Ball's coming off the surgery. He basically didn't have a training camp. Kyle Kuzma's in a bit of a sophomore slump. They're not shooting the ball well. But it was Magic and Palenka who decided to bring back Contavious Caldwell-Pope on a one-year deal at a very high price. They just don't have a tremendous roster right now, it seems. And so whose fault is that? that that's Magic and Palinka's fault. It's not Luke's fault. So it just bothers me that this is already happening where they're, they're talking about firing Luke Walton. Like, who are you going to go get now 10 games into the season? Let him at least coach through the All-Star break and see what you've got. I mean, what good is firing Luke Walton going to do you right now yeah, so just just Magic and Palenka and the rest of this Laker mania just needs to chill out. They need to chill out because the NBA needs a good Laker team. Let them sort it out. Let them figure out their flow with LeBron. You know, they're a really bad defensive team as well. LeBron's defense has been on the decline now for the last several years. These other young players that they've got aren't known to be great defenders. We kind of know what JaVale brings to the table, having watched him closely with the Warriors for the last few years. I mean, he kind of is what he is. He's not a dynamic center. He's a rim protector, but he's not going to come out on the perimeter and guard the pick and roll much at all. No. So, you know, it, the, the whole thing just bothers me. It's, it's just so silly the way these guys act sometimes, per particularly in the NBA. It's an 82-game season. We're 10 games in. Just chill the frick. Just chill the hell out. Uh, seriously, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a huge problem with this, too. And, and honestly, I haven't been following the saga uh, quite as closely and, pro and now need to read up on it a little bit more. I, I did catch uh, a little bit of... Uh, radio on it in the uh, in the AM, but but basically, and actually, one of the interesting things I heard was, and one of the things that came out was that uh, apparently Walton wasn't happy to even be having the meeting, and uh, and there was there was a report that Walton kind of let Magic have it in this meeting, uh, in which they discussed or didn't discuss 
his future and, you know, and, and what was going well or, or wasn't and where the tension was coming from or whatnot. So uh, I, I found that to be just interesting. I don't, I don't know what to really make of that. But if I were Luke, I'd be pissed. And I think you'd have, you'd have every right to be because to all your points, the, Luke didn't create any of this. He accepted a job and he just got handed a part, possibly the greatest basketball player in the history of the game. And you're a dozen or you know in games into the season, and you're and you're hitting the panic button. Everyone just let LeBron do his thing and let Walton do his thing and let the vets that are there do their thing and see where you are thirty games in, forty games in, fifty games in. If you don't like the look of your team, you know, come the start of uh, start of February maybe around the All-Star break, then go ahead and make a change. But you have a lot of time to evaluate that. And to throw that kind of a grenade into the room this early in the season seems like just a terrible idea. They're not going to win the title this year, no matter who the hell's coaching the team. They could bring out Red Auerbach from the grave, and they're not going to win a title. They're not going to come close to winning a title. They've got a bunch of young pieces, and then they've got a veteran at center in JaVale McGee and LeBron. And that's kind of and and, Ray, and Rajon Rondo. I mean, that's who they've got. So there, you know, anybody who and that's what makes this so short sighted. Yeah. So anybody who understands the game, the NBA, and sort of who those players are, didn't have but such high. You think that would include Magic Johnson? So they they really, you know, they're handling this all wrong, and you know they they better be careful because the word on the street is is that no nobody really wants to come to LA. And play with LeBron. And when you do stuff like this, it isn't going to help your rep much at all either. You know, supposedly playing with LeBron, you know, he's he's a total maniac. And, and, he, and he rubs, he wears everybody yeah. down. And, you know, we saw Kyrie Irving wanting to leave. You know, we've had heard rumors that Kevin Love had, had trouble playing with LeBron. I mean, everybody has, you know, basically since he's left Miami, where he handpicked his team with his two of his best friends with Wade and Bosh, you know, that he's had kind of trouble with teammates since then. And he wears on the coaching staff, too, obviously. It can't be easy dealing with LeBron day in and day out. And it ain't going to get any easier because he now sees his sort of window to be the best player in the NBA dwindling almost by the day. And I'm sure that that's wearing on him. And therefore, it's going to wear on everybody else. So everybody just needs to chill the hell out. I mean, unless they can go out and somehow acquire Jimmy Butler, who, by the way, is acting like one of the biggest babies in the history of the NBA, <laughs> which is really saying something. So I'm not sure you really want to bring him into the fold either. So <clears throat> short of that, I don't really know what they're going to do. But they need to chill out and just let Luke do his thing. And, you know, maybe if you're Luke Walton, you say, screw it, fire me. I'll just go be an assistant on Steve Kerr's staff again and win another championship and basically live in basketball Shangri-La. So maybe getting fired <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're Luke Walton isn't the worst thing in the world anyway. So, But, you know, you only get one chance to be the head coach of the Lakers and also one chance to be the head coach of LeBron. So, you know, I'm sure Luke wants to stick it out. You know, he's going to be rich with or without this gig. So what does he really care? So, you know, the, the, the whole thing... It's just, it's just irksome. It, it really is. It's just silly. I think silly is a good word for it. But enough on the Lake Show. What's your interesting of the week? Uh, and you know what? I will say right before we move on to my interesting of the week, 
that uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for a, a little I take a shot in the dark here just so we have it documented at, at some point. But uh, I believe that Luke Walton will be the next head coach of the Golden State Warriors. I think that's. A I great think call. that. I think, and, and you know, it's not like that's that's really going out on a limb. But you could just kind of see uh, where you know I know Kerr wants to keep doing this and wants to keep doing this for a while, and it sounds like his health is improving, and that's great. But mm-hmm. if uh, if for some reason he has uh, a setback with that, I could I could see him taking on more of an advisory type front office role. Uh, working more closely with Bob and the and the personnel and uh, and the, and and having less to do maybe day to day and and I know how well uh, or how much you know how highly the Warriors organization thinks of Luke and uh, and really how much Bob and, and Steve I think would want to have him back so I could certainly see that happening if this Lakers thing goes south I mean obviously it's not going to happen right away but if and when the time comes for Steve Kerr to step away when that is you know whether that's in the two or three years, or whether that's in five or six years or seven or eight years, uh, I would not be surprised if we'll lose the next guy. Nah, and I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Good calling. Um, so, so anyways, my, my interest, yeah, my interesting of the week is, uh, is a, a win for the little guy. Uh, if you, uh, if you saw a couple headlines today that uh, the public finally gave, uh, gave, or I should say gave it to the casinos over the weekend, really for the first time this year. Um, And they, I guess the Nevada sports books lost uh, somewhere between seven and $10 million on Sunday as the public just absolutely owned the books. And, uh, and so for reference, (laughs) this doesn't really happen very often. Uh, The month of September, uh, which it was reported that the books took home, about 56 million off the public. Uh, right. So you break that, you break that out. That ends up being about 14 million a week. I think mm-hmm. uh, that they are usually going up. So when they go the other way, seven to $10 million, it's a big deal. And, uh, and so good for us, the gamblers of the world uh, sticking it to them. They, I mean, basically the big favorites came in, the public loves favorites, the public loves short dogs. Uh, and, and basically all of those hit this week. Uh, the Chiefs uh, beating the Browns big was was I guess huge. Eighty two percent of the bets were on uh, were on the Chiefs on that yeah. side. Um, the Bears over the, the Bills the was a big pit, one. The Bears are yeah, and I guess the the one game that they said they probably did the best on was Miami beating the Jets, and that was their lowest handle of any of the games. So yeah. uh, so basically, they just they just got crushed, and uh, and I just I think it's interesting. In, in the fact that uh, you, you, you realize just how well they do all the all the time, and to think that this really at the by the end of the season is not even going to be a drop in the bucket, but that it's noteworthy this week. Um, and so I don't know if that means that they got their lines wrong, if that just means that things broke the wrong way and it was just bad luck uh, for this weekend, or if they're going to try to do anything. Uh, to kind of correct for next weekend, but I got to tell you what I looked at the card this weekend. I don't like it nearly as much as I did last week's card. So uh, I, I don't know if they're they they've maybe been a little bit too conservative with some of the point spreads or or what the reason was for them getting crushed this weekend. But uh, it'll it's interesting to me to see if there's a correction from them in addition to the fact that they never lose like this and they did this week. Yeah, I, I follow this pretty closely, and and those who listen to our show every week know that I. Follow follow it pretty closely because I, I was doing great at the beginning of the season quote-unquote fading the public in the NFL and that basically 
means, you know, uh, uh, the, the Chiefs-Brown spread is a perfect example of this. The Chiefs were favored by 8.5 over Cleveland, who had just fired their head coach and offensive coordinator. The Chiefs have only obviously lost one game all year. They have a huge offense. Everybody thinks the Chiefs ama- are amazing. They, they're playing in Cleveland, who's just terrible. And you see an 8.5 point spread, and you say, there's no way that that's nearly enough. So normally, as you said, the public is going to jump all over the Chiefs in that situation, and normally they're going to be wrong. The books are going to win. The, the Chiefs would only win by like a touchdown, and the books would clean up you know, by the Browns covering that spread. But this week, and it actually is now I think the third week in a row where the public uh, you know, basically won total on a Sunday on the NFL, whereas the, almost the entire season leading up to that, the public was getting crushed by you know, these situations that are very similar to what I just said. Um, you know, with the exception of the Chiefs, had I think, or have only lost one game against the spread all year. But the Chiefs obviously are not the only team in the NFL week in and week out. So, you know, just me this week, I went against myself this week. I said I got to stop fading the public. I think the trend is changing a little bit, and I was right. And I and we can talk about this more in the in when we go in the book. But I was four and one this week in the NFL after going one and four the week before. Fading the public. So it just kind of goes to show you that trends don't last forever. Eventually the book will catch up, and I would bet heavily that the book does not lose to the public this coming Sunday for those out there who follow such things. But it's just a really interesting thing to sort of follow. It's sort of the game within the game, and I think it really does a goes a long way to sort of predict how some of these games are going to end up. And it's kind of the way totally. You, you get, you know, you hear the, the, the term that the NFL is an 8-8 eight eight league, you know, where typically a team will lose one week and then win the next. And I think that's kind of how it is with betting, too. If you just kind of can, can stay around 500, that's kind of all you can really expect if, if you try to pick these games week in, week out against the point spread. It's the same way in the NFL itself. It's kind of like the majority of the teams are going to be 9-7, and 8-8, or seven and nine, and it's kind of the same way for betters too. So I just think it's interesting how the two kind of go hand in hand. Definitely, yeah. I I like following the trends as well, and uh, I, I'm sure we will see a market correction. Uh, I, I will be stunned if the public does this uh, to the books two weeks in a row. Yeah, I I will too. Um, so good, interesting of the week. My interesting is. College basketball is back starting tomorrow night uh, on election night, no less, um, and they come and it's coming in with a bang. Uh, in Indianapolis tomorrow night, you've got a doubleheader on ESPN. If you get tired of watching sort of the, the votes come in, you start off with number ten preseason, the Michigan State Spartans taking on number one Kansas Jayhawks, and then you've got number four Kentucky against number four Duke. What a doubleheader that is. Um, and, you know, I'm just happy that College Hoops is back. I'm a lifelong big College Hoops fan. You know, I grew up in ACC country following that closely. Went to Syracuse, obviously. They've given me a lot to look at over the years. Uh, I'm really excited for the College Hoops season to, to be back. I don't get into the regular season the way I used to. I mean, back in the day, I would be glued to the TV for both of those games that I just mentioned tomorrow night. These days, I ease myself into it a little more. These early season uh, 
out-of-conference matchups are great television, great entertainment, but it's, when it comes down to March Madness time, they don't really mean a whole heck of a lot. There's so many games. I mean, it doesn't really get serious until I would say mid-February for me, but I'm still going to pay attention. I'm still going to want to watch all of Syracuse's games. I think Syracuse has a really good team. Uh, your alma mater, Oregon, is expected to have a really good team as well. They're ranked 14th in the preseason. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, 14th in the preseason in the AP poll. The Cuse is 16th in the AP poll. For the record, I think Cuse is underrated. It's been a long time since I've felt this way, but I think we're stacked. I think we're loaded. And actually, I think Cuse has a chance to play Oregon coming up here in a few weeks, Ryan. We're both in that 2K Classic at the Garden yeah. uh, in a couple weeks. But I, we play UConn the first night. It would take us both to win or both to lose to get a matchup between the Ducks and the Orange there on that second night. But just something, a little something to keep your eye on. But when you look at the preseason poll, all the blue bloods seem to be at the top. I mean, you've got Kansas number one, Kentucky number two. The Zags are supposed to be awesome at number three. Duke four, UVA five coming off. You know, that incredible regular season they had last year, and then, of course, losing to UMBC, the first 16 seed to ever beat a one seed in the history of the tournament. They're at five. Rick Barnes is building something special in Knoxville. The Vols are at six. Eric Musselman coming off a great showing in the in the tournament last year. Nevada Reno's number seven. Highly touted. They're Nevada. loaded. Uh, they've got both of those Martin brothers back, and I think they got like two top 20 recruits as well. Um, so good for them in Reno. A lot of excitement there. The Tar Heels are eight. The defending champs, Villanova nine, and then Michigan State rounding out the top ten. So you got you know a lot of teams that you would expect. Some interesting teams coming in there as well. But the whole top twenty-five is just littered with interesting teams and good stories. You know, Duke is an interesting team always. But I was looking at some sort of you know preseason mock drafts. And the Athletics now, you know, the the site, The Athletic, they've got this guy, Sam Viceni. Um, He's got his big board. And three out of the top four projected for next year's NBA draft are Duke players, and all freshmen. Yep. Uh, R.J. Barrett, one. Zion Williamson, three. And then Cameron Reddish, four. And then Nasir Little out of North Carolina is the third guy taken. So Tobacco Road just littered with talent this season, big talent. Kentucky's got a ton of guys projected to go into the lottery as well, just like they always do. Your boy, Manute Bowl's son, Bowl Bowl, projected. Uh, Bowl you know, Bowl. He's, he's a freshman at, at, uh, at Oregon. He's projected to go. Seven foot two. Yeah, he's projected to go 14th. Oregon's got another guy, Lewis King, uh, 6'9", freshman. So Oregon's loaded, too. Oregon uh, has had one of their best, I think their best uh, recruiting class ever. And uh, and Lewis King yeah, is is also highly touted, although I believe he's dealing with a foot injury. He won't play for another month or so. Oh, so okay. uh, if we if we do see each other uh, in the 2K Classic, I think Lewis King will not play. But uh, Bull Bull will be. He, you know, they, they had one of those exhibition games the other night and uh, and he was just instant highlight reel type stuff. He scored like 19 points. But really, the play of the night was one where. There was only uh, maybe two or three seconds left on the shot clock, and there was and the ball was side out of bounds, and so they just tossed it to him like thirty feet from the basket, and he was able to just turn and shoot over the guy, kind of a fadeaway at seven foot two, and he just drained it. So not the kind of shot he's going to be taking a lot, but 
uh, when you've got a big guy with that kind of uh, that kind of skill and, and shooting touch, uh, it should be it should be fun to watch. And uh, Dana Altman always seems to do uh, kind of I don't know if he overachieves, but I think he usually gets Oregon a little farther than most people thinks he's going to get him. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this season. Yeah, he's got a heck of a program, but it, it just seems overall. You look at the talent up and down the top 25, it seems like there's, you know, at least one, if not more, really good players on all of these teams. And Duke, I just want to go back to Duke for a second. They're fourth in the preseason poll, yet they have three out of the top four players projected to go in the draft. People are saying they have the one of, if not the best freshman classes in the history of college basketball which is really saying something. Now, I don't understand how Duke isn't the preseason number one team in the country, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I, I guess Kansas and, and Gonzaga and North Carolina and Kentucky must have some pretty damn good players as well. So it, it just seems like a loaded year for college basketball. And bring it, you know, bring it. You know, they're all cheating. We know that. It's as dirty as it can be, but what are you going to do? The action on the floor is going to be spectacular, and I'm looking forward to it here. You know, now that daylight yep. savings time is behind us, it's getting dark as hell super early. I couldn't believe how dark it was at like 5.15. I hate it. It was honestly I hate it every year. It's, it I totally hate it every sucks. year. But, you know, uh, the I'll, one, I'll watch the one some saving ball. Grace It'll is be the... all right. Yeah, I but I drank a lot on Saturday, and uh, and it was it wasn't what like, it wasn't like I just got hammered and that was the end of that. Like it was just progressively a long day. You know, you start at twelve thirty, sure. and you kind of just keep going through your game that kicked at four thirty. And uh, by the time I got home, I needed that extra hour of sleep. But yeah, this morning really sucked with how uh, how do, I mean, I just I do not I do not like daylight savings one bit. Nobody does. It, 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 it's just really is a bummer. I mean, you know, it's getting colder <laughs> at night. I really noticed it was a lot cooler at night tonight. Uh, we had a very warm weekend here in the Bay, but it's it's really getting cooler at night. There's just le less sun. There's less heat in the air. So it's how it goes. Welcome to planet Earth. So uh, that's how here, it is. But, here we are. I hope you yeah, stay a while. Here, here we are. But uh, college basketball is going to be good. And uh, I'm excited for it. So let's go in the book. Uh, give me a few college football games you're looking at this weekend. Uh, yeah, so college college seemed like a tough slate this weekend. There wasn't a ton uh, that I that I really loved, but but just going through a couple of them. Uh, let me go ahead and pull up my list here real quick if I can find it. Um, so I early first I like a Friday game. I I think Jeff Tedford and that Fresno. State team is really good, and mm -hmm. I haven't watched a ton of them, but they they seem to have that super late slot on like whatever that you know whether it's the CBS Sports Network or right. whatever or That's like what ESPNU. They always get it seems like they always have one of those late spots, and so I kind of catch some of their games, and uh, and they've just been dominating teams. And I know that Boise is good, and I know that you know playing in. Boise on the Smurf turf is not an easy task, but I think Fresno has all the chops uh, to go in there and win that game, and so I kind of like them uh, just laying a field goal there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like, I think that Wa I think that West Virginia coming off that huge win against Texas and the and the ballsy uh, two point conversion uh, was a was just a, a fantastic victory for them. 
But I also feel like when you look at the rest of their schedule and how they've got Oklahoma coming up at the end of it, and who, who's and I know that they've got they got to go to Stillwater as well. That's right. They've got to go to Stillwater, and they've got to go and they've and they've got to play Oklahoma. I wouldn't be surprised if they looked a little bit past this TCU team who has been having a miserable season. But as we both know, Gary Patterson can coach them up. Uh, Holgerson, uh, on the other hand, has not been immune to a few blunders himself. So uh, 13 and a half there. I just I know West Virginia is talented enough to to go and win that game by 21. But I'm I'm not going to be surprised here if Gary Patterson gives it to him a little bit and uh, and and keeps this thing at least close for a while. I like TCU getting the thirteen and a half, um, and then I think that uh, Washington State. I think they got a scare last week. They were my lock. They did not come through, but uh, Colorado is now in a bad way. They are just reeling after starting the season five and zero. They've lost four straight. They lost to Arizona um, this week and. Uh, I think their season is, uh, is is essentially lost at this point. They're one of the only Pac-12 South teams that's actually played the, themselves out in that uh, conference, as pretty much everybody is sitting around with the same record. But uh, they are not. They have dipped well below. And Washington State, uh, controlling their own destiny still in the Pac-12, I think they've got all the talent to win that game by a touchdown, and I think they're going to. So uh, I don't love a ton yet this week. Those are uh, those are the three, but then my lock is going to be uh, Alabama. I mean, I think, yes, it, it's a big game they had to get up for last week, but uh, the the fact that this line is only 24-and-a-half, I just it's, – it's back in Tuscaloosa. Mississippi State doesn't really scare me at all. I, I think Alabama wins this by 35, and I don't think it's – and I think it could be more than that. So, so those are my four with Alabama being my lock. Okay, um, all, all good picks, all all good knowledge there. I'm gonna just come right out now and say, this past Saturday we thought it was a really good slate, and it was, but we really didn't see many upsets. Um, I think you are going to see, if not some outright big time upsets, certainly some very close scares this year, this week. I think it's going to be an underdog weekend. Um, I can see that, yeah. I do. And I think that Mississippi State is going to cover the spread against Alabama. I, hmm. I know what you said. Okay. I really like Mississippi State in this spot, getting plus 26. Mississippi State's had a weird season. They've had some really good wins, and they've had some really terrible losses. Most of their wins have come at home. Obviously, they're on the road. But Alabama's going to have a really tough time, as you said, getting back up for this game, even though they're coming back home. They've also got some injuries now that are starting to pile up, mainly on the offensive side. I'm also really worried about Tua's knee. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I just don't see Alabama covering this spread again. I think 26 is too many points. Mississippi State for all their struggles on offense, has had a pretty darn good defense all season. They have an excellent front seven, and I think that they're going to be able to contain Alabama's pass. I'm sorry, contain their run a little bit and force Tua into some third and longs and maybe test that knee a little bit. I'm worried about this game just from a health standpoint for Alabama. I certainly think they're going to win. I don't think it's going to be a total cakewalk. I like Mississippi State. Uh, I love TCU against West Virginia and Morgantown. For all the reasons you mentioned, I also love Auburn getting 14 and a half going down between the hedges against Georgia. A huge rivalry. Auburn beat them last year. I think Georgia still 
is one of the best teams in the country. I know they got totally destroyed at LSU. I think they've done a heck of a job rebounding from that game. They're now in the SEC championship game. They've got their rematch against Alabama, but they're still very much in the national title picture. But I think Auburn has done a nice job of rebounding from some early defeats. They had a heck of a comeback win against the Aggies. You probably didn't see it because uh, you were t- tailgating. The Aggies really oh, did but I, everything. Oh, but I was following it because guess what? I was on. I was on the Aggies. My, uh, excuse me, plus three and a half. Oh. So I missed that game. Ryan by they, half a point. That I was mean, a terrible loss for the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher. They were doing some crazy, just some crazy shit there. Down the stretch, <laughs> down on the plains, heart, just mystifying stuff, just throwing the ball yeah. when they should have been running out the clock. They throw a terrible interception, but credit to Auburn for hanging in there. I think I still think Auburn has a really talented team, particularly on defense. And I think they're going to give the dogs all they can handle there in Athens. So I like them plus 14 and a half. And then Notre Dame seems to struggle every week. And I know Florida State's had a bad year, but Florida State still got some talent. They're getting 18 points going to South Bend. I love the Knowles getting that number in South Bend as well. And then the other team that I like, is, and I don't like this game as much, but Pitt coming off a big win on Friday night at Virginia. They now control their own destiny in that division to, to get to play Clemson for the ACC championship. I mean, Pitt is really not a great team, but they're favored by two and a half at home against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's been terrible. I Give me Pitt there. I mean, they Pitt should be able to, to win that game at home against the Hokies. Pitt minus two and a half. Those are my picks for the week. And let me just say, I'm not taking Louisville, but the fact that Syracuse is ranked 13th in the country, you know, here in the second week of November, and they're giving 21.5 points to an ACC opponent. I mean, it, to me, as a Syracuse alum and fan, this is almost the equivalent of Syracuse having won the national championship based on what I expected to see. I mean, they're ranked 13th as their highest ranking since McNabb was under center in 98 and favored by three touchdowns over an ACC opponent. I never thought I'd see that. I can't imagine that Cuse is going to be able to cover that spread against Louisville. Louisville ought to be embarrassed. I mean, I know they are. But I would. Yeah, did you see what happened to him last week? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. 21 and a half points for Cuse to be favored over anyone. Just the, for sake of comparison, Alabama in the opener on a neutral field was favored over Louisville by 23. And now Cuse favored over the same team, Louisville, by 21 and a half is truly staggering for me. It, it really, I know, I know I'm going on and on. But it, it it's it's unbelievable. It it really is. So I hope that you know Hughes... one more game I want to one ahead. more game I want to throw in there is that is I think that Arkansas at home getting thirteen and a half against an LSU team that uh, is coming off off of that ass kicking uh, that we said and and you know I don't know that they're you know the players are going to revolt or some crap like that. I don't think anything that extreme, but. Like I said, I didn't like the way Orgeron handled the end of that game. I wouldn't be surprised if they got they were a little bit slow to get going. And at this point, 
have a little bit less to play for now that they've lost that game. I, I could absolutely see Arkansas giving them a game, and I like Arkansas getting 13 and a half there. Yeah, I agree, and I noticed that. And also, LSU lost quite a few players, particularly on the defensive in the defensive secondary um, against Alabama. And teams coming off games against Alabama typically struggle the following week. Um, that's been detailed yep. before. So I, I like the Hogs in that spot too, although the Hogs, the Hogs suck. I mean, there, there's no other way oh, to say Oh, they've been bad. It. They've been real bad. Really yeah. bad. So I'm not sure how much confidence I would have in taking them, but I think that your reason. And that's why it's a yeah. late, that's why it's, it's, it's kind of a, a late ad there. Yeah, I think your reasons are justified for sure. Um, okay, so uh, let, let's go to the NFL side where, I, again, I just I don't feel good picking these games on Monday, but I've got a couple. Uh, who, who do you like on the pro side? So I, I have to say I'm, I'm pretty pleased. I came off my first 5-0 and weekend Ooh, in the pool this week. Good for you. Uh, I'm, now, I, I'm now 17-3 and in my last four weeks, uh, and – and I, I don't really know uh, how that's how that's come together, but I'm feeling good and feeling like I'm seeing the board okay. So yeah, I um, would agree. Uh, <laughs> I, so this week I like uh, I like New England minus six and a half at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee obviously coming off a short week where they got up for this game against Dallas. It was uh, it was close. They ended up coming away with it, but I think this is a spot where. New England's just coming to their own at this time of the season. Uh, I believe that New England's New England's bye week, I think, is after this game against Tennessee. So I think that they're going to be looking to take care of business, kick some ass, uh, get out of there, and get off to the bye week, um, and, and and kind of put in that last uh, that last big effort before getting a little bit of time off. So I think they win that game by more than a touchdown. Washington got their got their butts kicked against Atlanta last week. They also lost some people to injury, but. Um, they still control their destiny in that division. I think they have a very winnable game at Tampa that's just been a mess at the quarterback position. Uh, and whether it's Fitzpatrick or Jameis in there, both guys are throwing too many picks. Um, and Washington, I, I just I think can is still has enough talent on the defensive side of the ball to win that game with defense. Uh, they're getting two and a half at Tampa Bay, so I like them there. Atlanta, uh, they were a team I liked early in the season and was wrong about a couple times. They finally had a game that looked more like one of the ones that I kind of expected from them all along when they beat the Redskins. They looked really good in doing it. Um, they are still very much alive in, in, in their division, and they play Cleveland. I think Cleveland's a mess right now. Obviously, you had the change at head coach. I don't think Greg Williams... I'm not going to say he doesn't know what he's doing, but I don't know that he's an upgrade from even what they had with Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley there. So uh, I like Atlanta to cover. Uh, they're giving four. Uh, I think they'll cover that. Um, everyone, for some reason, seems to think that the Jet, the Jags are are, are ready to, or poised to bounce back. I know they're coming off a bye. I think that that team is broken right now, and I think the Colts are going to beat them. Colts are uh, at home against the Jags. They're a field goal favorite. I like the Colts there. And then in just a truly atrocious game for the NFL, except for the fact that it's two big medium markets, Monday Night Football, what a the joke. San Francisco Giants against the or, excuse me, San Francisco 49ers <laughs> against the New York Giants. Just a miserable matchup. Horrible. Um, but I will... But I will say, I think the Niners want to win more. I think the Niners are are probably more capable of winning at this point. Not that the uh, a win over the Raiders is is any big accomplishment, but I think that the 
Giants, the way they've gotten rid of personnel, are, are actively trying to lose games at this point. I think every game that they let Eli Manning start, uh, it's, it's still them trying to lose games at that point. I would completely have confidence in the 49ers to beat the Giants uh, in Santa Clara on Monday um, should Eli be under center there. I don't know why he wouldn't be. I think the fact that the, the Niners want to win and the Giants don't, you take the Niners there. So um, those are the ones I like. I think if I'm going to take a lock, I will take – I'm going to take Atlanta going to Cleveland land for. All right. All good stuff there. Um, yeah, I – you picked one, and I like the other side. I only wrote two down, um, and one of them was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I like them getting three at Indianapolis. Both teams coming off buys. I think the Jags are a better team. It's put-up-or-shut-up time now for the Jags, who came within a whisker of beating the Patriots in the AFC Championship game and going to the Super Bowl. They haven't been good for much of the season, although they beat the Patriots earlier in the year. So... They're a hard team to figure out. They're on a terrible run here, but I think they're going to get it back going here a little bit. Fournette's likely to come back, um, which I don't know how much of a difference that'll make, really. But I like the Jags plus three. And then on this, on the topic of, you know, the the public's not going to keep rolling. The Saints, <coughs> excuse the me. Saints are, uh, <coughs> bless you. Uh, excuse me. The Saints Ca- coming off that big, big win against the Rams yesterday are only a four-point favorite in Cincinnati coming off a bye who are, who will now be without A.J. Green. That's another classic one where you think the Saints should be favored by more. Everyone's going to get on the Saints there. I will probably take the Bengals getting four, and I would expect that line to creep up a little bit. And I feel like I say this now for like five straight weeks. Who the hell made the Saints schedule, man? It is a really tough schedule i think now four straight weeks they've had at baltimore at minnesota home to the rams now they go on the road again to cincinnati i mean what is going on with their schedule like none of these are divisional games they're all outside the division three out of four on the road uh i did notice you know them and the panthers are neck and neck there in the nfc south the Panthers, by the way, are on a heck of a run. Cam is playing lights out. Their defense is coming around. Christian McCaffrey is really playing well. I think they've won three in a row. They don't play the Saints until the third to last week of the year. They play Those two teams play each other two out of the last three weeks of the that season. That always seems to happen in, the, in, in that division, too. I feel like that often happens with, with the Falcons in the mix there. And yeah. same with the Bucs, like... In, in that South division, it always seems like they do that. I don't know why that is. Yeah, and it's it's a really tough division. I mean, with those three teams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Falcons don't look to have a great chance at the division, but they're certainly still in the wild card hunt um, because you, you were mm-hmm. talking about them earlier. You know, some of these teams now in the NFL, they, they all have injury concerns, but some of these teams are just decimated by injuries and you really have to pay attention to it because some of these teams are not who they were a week or even two weeks ago the Redskins are one of them they now I think are only have one this week they're going to have one regular offensive lineman even Uh, available um they are really banged up a lot of these other teams are really banged up this is the time at which if you're going to try to pick these games you've got to pay attention 
to the injury situations. Because again, some of these teams, I mean, just entire units are, you know, they're, they're literally like pulling guys off the practice squad left and right. And they're just literally not the same team as they were just a couple weeks ago. So that that's something to pay attention to. But those are my only and you know, two one, picks for, for right now. You know, one more thing I want to mention, too, and, and I think this, this goes hand-in-hand hand with my interesting of the week about the books losing all that money. There's certain teams that I, I really like to fade, and there are other teams that, that have been just delivering. And th- it's very clear to me uh, with some of the lines where this week that the books are just daring you to to take to go ahead and take that favorite team, they're they're really pushing it. Like the, the Chiefs I, I want to say, being the main one, the Chiefs one. I mean, yeah, if you want the Chiefs, you better really want the Chiefs because you're laying sixteen and a half if if you're taking them. And right. uh, and same thing with the Rams, ten against Seattle. I mean, Seattle's still very competitive and very tough. The Rams can cover that, sure, but the fact that you have to you have to lay double digits if you want the Rams. Um, and then again, it's happening with uh, where was the other one? Even the Jets and Buffalo. You know, the, I don't know that the Jets should be a seven and a half point favorite over anybody, but Buffalo's really bad. But again, they're going to make you go and, and have the confidence that the Jets will beat somebody by more than a touchdown if you want to take them. So, might be a good week to take some of the dogs. Uh, Oakland too. I mean, I, I've been trying to fade them as often as possible. Uh, I stayed away from their game last week because of the whole Niners quarterback situation. I didn't right. know what to expect. They smoked them anyways. But uh, the fact that the uh, the Chargers are in Oakland and they're nine-and-a-half-point favorites, that's a huge line for a divisional game uh, that's that's in Oakland. But, you know, obviously the, uh, the bookmakers want you to really have to believe in it if you're at least trying to balance out the money a little bit. Yeah. Great point, and, and just to further a little more, it's almost like you, we're trying to figure out which of these, I mean, there's like seven or eight teams in the NFL now who are done. I mean, they are out of the playoff picture altogether, and who's tr- still trying to win and who's not? And you, you talked about it a little bit with the Niners and the Giants, and I think you're right. Uh, the Niners, it does seem that they're trying to win and not tank for draft picks, whereas the Giants are kind of going the other way. I mean, I really felt like the Raiders were going to win that game in San Francisco. I mean, the the Niners were playing a quarterback who had never taken an NFL snap, and and the Raiders still had Derek Carr. Uh, I love the Raiders going into that game, and then the Raiders just laid a total egg. We've detailed the Raiders time and time again. They are completely screwing over their fans that have supported them all these years and bolting to another city. And now, you know, they give this coach a hundred million dollars guaranteed. And it looks like they're going to completely stink up the joint and tank it all the way on out to Vegas, which is just shameful and disgusting and disgraceful on the part of Mark Davis and the Raiders. But, you know, I'm far from surprised, but as as far as the betting goes, you got to kind of try to figure out who's still trying to win. It certainly doesn't seem like the Raiders are trying to win. But you never know. I mean, you never, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, the Raiders are tanking. They're not trying to win. But we don't really know that. I mean, we're not in the locker room. We don't really know what the hell's going on. And the same thing. And I don't ever really think that the players and coaches aren't trying to. But like when I say the Giants aren't trying to, I think if the Giants were serious about winning, Eli would not be their starting quarterback. And they wouldn't have gotten rid of some of the players that they did before the trade deadline. Those, to me, signal that management is fine with them losing. 
And if management's fine with them losing, then there's really not going to be a whole lot of pressure from anybody to go out there and give your best effort. And so it's not to say that guys aren't still playing for jobs, playing for paychecks. Like, that's a very, still a very real thing. Guys are going to still go out there and compete. No one's going to roll over and throw a game. But there, some teams have a lot more incentive than others. Yeah, and, you know, we've still got a lot of games left in the NFL. We're just one week past the midpoint. Uh, there's a lot of games left. So it, it is a tricky and, and uh, risky situation there trying to sort of sit on the couch and figure out who really wants to win these games. You know, if we were in week 15, I think it's a different story than where we are right now. So I would just, I don't know, you know, trying to figure out who wants to win and who doesn't is very tricky, very risky at this point in the season. And I'm going to probably just stay away from games involving those teams. I mean, if there's a 10-point spread or more, I'm just going to probably just not play it and tend to play some of the more competitive games where, where teams are really trying to win and fight for playoff spots. Those are obviously more fun games to watch anyway. So that's just probably going to be the way that I approach it. But it, it's definitely interesting from, from a betting perspective. And honestly, it good good for the betting because otherwise some of these games wouldn't be worth watching to begin with. So, <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amen. Okay, what's your wild card for the week? Yeah, so my wild card for the week, uh, I was just thinking about this, kind of pondering this while I was watching Monday Night Football, uh, seeing Dak Prescott and Marcus Mariota out there who are, you know, guys who've had a little bit of a flash here and there but who haven't uh, barely been overly successful. But it just got me thinking about kind of the narrative of quarterbacks and, and how uh, different people or different quarterbacks are either judged or viewed and the, and the picture that's painted of them. And then... It feels like some of them either play into or out of that that persona. And I guess my question, my wild card is, who do you think is the most underrated and most overrated quarterback in the league right now? Mm. Like, who, which two guys? Uh, because I think it's interesting about, like, how and Twitter drives a lot of narratives, too, whether it it's, you know, a play or a meme or, a, like, you know, it could be anything. Just the chatter, I feel like, dictates so much. Which guys do you think ha have too much hype and which guys don't have enough hype yeah really good question I would say up until this season I've always felt like Joe Flacco is underrated and takes way too much shit mainly on Twitter I mean we're talking about a guy who won a Super Bowl um, I've always respected him and his game I've always thought that he when you know in big games late in December He's a really good player, and I think that fantasy drives some of that narrative, too. You know, guys that are winners but don't necessarily put up great numbers week in and week out get a bad rap, and he certainly fits that mold. And Eli Manning is in the same exact category for me as well. I've always felt like he takes way too much crap. Um, you know, he, here's a guy who are, who's the architect of two of the greatest wins in the history of the sport, and two Epic wins over the New England Patriots. The only guy to, well, up until last year when Carson, I'm sorry, when Nick Foles beat him, the only guy to ever beat the Patriots in, in this run uh, in, the, in the Super Bowl. So I felt like those two guys, Eli Manning has clearly now this year taken a major step backwards. It is not at all the player that he once was. So I think that he's no longer uh, uh, underrated. Flacco, I don't know. I don't, he, he's getting up there in years. So those were the two guys for me coming into this year. 
These days, <sighs> I'm going to go with, I've always felt like, and, and I think that he's finally starting to get the credit he deserves, but I've always felt like Philip Rivers is underrated. You know, he's never okay. won the ring. He's never won the AFC Championship. But, I've, you know, he's put up incredible numbers. He hasn't always had the best talent around him, particularly since LaDainian left the building. You know, Gates has always been there for him, but really he's never had a great receiver around him. You know, Vincent Jackson had some nice years, but he wasn't certainly not a Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, so I would go with Phillip Rivers as my perennial number one underrated. As far as overrated goes, and I was thinking this tonight, Dak Prescott is not getting it done. And, uh, he no, had, he's not. He had the one good year. He was hurt last year. To me, when I watch him play, he's just not an NFL – he's not a, a good NFL quarterback. And I'm not sure really that he can be. Uh, they don't have a tremendous amount of talent around him, but he just doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't. And you need a good arm to be a really good player – in the NFL, you need to be able to sit in the pocket and deliver those 10 to 15 yard out patterns with regularity, or else you just can't play quarterback at a, at a high level week in and week out in the NFL. Um, so that would be one guy. Another guy that comes to mind for me, I don't know, it probably Matt Stafford, um, just because of the salary. And he's just never obviously done a lot of winning. I know it goes beyond him. He can sling it, but, you know, do I want him quarterback? And he's had a lot of comeback wins over the years. He just doesn't do a whole lot for me, honestly. You know, I think he's a little a little overrated, too. Uh, I, th- those are the guys that kind of come to mind for me. Uh, how, how about you? Yeah, it, uh, I'm glad you said Stafford. He was he was probably the one I was going to go to. Not and there's nothing inherently wrong with Matthew Stafford. Maybe maybe he could be a good quarterback for a more competitive or more complete team. But you know he he has taken up just a huge percentage of the the Lions' salary. Uh, you know basically their their team salary um, over the last you know. 10 years or so. Yeah. And, and really he just, he just doesn't win enough games and it's not always his fault. It's good. You know, some of it's going to be on the defense. Some of it's going to be on the pieces around him. Some of it's going to be on the coaching. Um, there are all those things that are all true, but at the end of the day, he's a guy that's been to a bunch of pro bowls and has as much money as anyone in the bank. And he just really hasn't won very much. So not, uh, that, not that much would at probably all. be, uh, that would probably be my, my overrated. Um, and I think for, there's a number of guys who I actually think are underrated and, you know, you wouldn't say that this guy is classically underrated, but I just, I just don't know that Drew Brees gets talked up enough when you, I mean, I think Drew Brees should be mentioned in any conversation that Aaron Rodgers is being mentioned in. Totally and, uh, agree and, and it's that. not, and it's not, to, and that doesn't mean people don't think Drew Brees is, isn't great, but I just, you know, there's all this goat talk that goes around with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and if you're going to use that with them, then Drew Brees should be every every much a part of it because no, he doesn't have the rings, but neither does Rodgers. So uh, the, I think that the, that guy could go out and win a game any given day, and uh, and he's really never done anything to play his team out of a playoff game. Um, he he's 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 not had any big blunders. 
in, in big moments. I mean, he he is as nails as it gets. If anything, they've just you know the defense hasn't hasn't been enough, or uh, they haven't had enough of a run game, or, or or something that has not been the fault of one Drew Brees. If he were uh, you know in, if he were in New England, I have no doubt he'd have won as many championships as Brady did. So I I think despite the fact he's probably a top three quarterback in this league, I think he's underrated. Um, I think Alex Smith, you know, I mean, I, I know that he doesn't, yes. he's not super dynamic throwing the ball down the field, but Alex Smith, once he got a real coach in San Francisco has basically just won everywhere. He's everywhere. He's gone. He, he, he thrived under Greg Roman. Once he got to work with the same guy for a while, then of course he lost his job to Kaepernick after he got the concussion. He moves to Kansas city. He wins with Andy Reid there. He's in Washington now. With great Jay Gruden. And he's leading the division there. I mean, he just, he just gets the job done. I think he does a really great job at understanding defenses and understanding his own team's playbook and really what his coach wants to accomplish. And he doesn't ever play his team really out of games. If you need a big comeback effort, it's probably not your guy, but he's uh, he's a pretty safe bet to throw out there. Yeah, and, and I agree completely. I, I was thinking Alex Smith. He's had a hell of a career. He was the number one overall pick, and you know you expect a lot out of number one overall picks. But if you were going to rank, you know, the all the number one overall picks as quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, Alex Smith is is you know in the upper third. Surely he's far, obviously far from a bust. And if you were to ask me, would I rather have Alex Smith's career or Matthew Stafford's career? I'm going Alex Smith there. Uh, you know, a hundred percent. Totally, I hundred percent uh, agree. Yep. And 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 you know, to your point about Breeze and Rodgers. Every I like Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't want this to be. And, that, anti- and I wasn't trying to knock Rodgers. No, yeah. I think that, that we. Rogers. I think we've gotten to the point now where I feel like Aaron Rodgers is overrated. Um, a little bit. He's a great. He's kind player. of got like a little. There's like a folk hero like element to his persona now, or something. Yeah, uh, and because it's been of like brewing. Yeah. For the past several years, and I I don't think I think that team is massively flawed. And they've never, you know, they never seem to have any kind of running game, which I don't really get at all. Um, and he's a great player. He's a great, great player. But I'm not sure, you know, the, the greatest of all time? No. not. I mean, he's not even in the discussion no. for me. He's a really, really good player. He's a Hall of Fame player. But I don't think he's, the you know, in the conversation for greatest of all time at all. And And, you know, if you want to compare... Him to Drew Brees, I think Drew Brees is a better player, even right now. And and Brees is like, I think, five or six years older than him. So I would yeah. still rather have Brees this year than Aaron Rodgers. Now, Brees has more around him, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think that's really even debatable. Um, and Brees, I think, also has the advantage of the, of the much better offensive-minded and overall coach. Yeah, and I think McCarthy's a good coach. I do, but... I think he's a fine coach, but I think Peyton is a much better offensive yeah, coach. Yeah, I would agree. I, I just think that the, the whole Aaron Rodgers narrative has gone too far. It's gone too far... I, I kind of agree with that. ...for I too long. I, and and I've, I've thought this well before last night. Um, right. Yeah, so... I, I, it sounds like we're on the same page. But yeah, but yeah. So you mean, so you mean then putting the T-shirts on the on the actual farm animal goats was a little too much for you? Yeah, I mean, nice job by the NBC marketing department, <laughs> but they went a little bit too far with that. Um, they jumped the goat a little bit. Okay, um, so here's my wild card, and I'm gonna. 
go all the way back to an hour and 20 now three minutes ago. Um, oh, boy. When you were talking about tailgating and you were talking about some of the food you had. And this is a tough question because there's there's so many good answers. There's so many great foods out there. But sort of what what does your ideal tailgate spread look in regards to a food and beverage situation? Uh, yeah, so food and beverage situation, obviously they're crucial. My, my thing is I, but I just, the biggest thing I guess is, uh, is that it's just whatever you do, do it well, don't do it half-assed. So, you know, I, I mean, you can come up with whatever themes or ideas, but if you're just like bringing some frozen crap and hoping to, 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 to heat it up, it's, it's not going to be that great. So I, I really, I'm really more about just kind of the effort, the plan. And the, and the preparing for it. But, uh, you know, I think that you need the, the beverage essentials are you need to have good drinking beer and bat and cheap drinking beer. And yep. those are two, two different things. So you need some maybe some nice ones to start the day. But if you're going to be out there watching football, throwing the football around, eating, you don't want to have, you know, five or six micro brews on board. That's that's not going to be a recipe for success. So uh, you need to have the combination of the good beer and the, you know, lighter beer, if you will. Right. Um, and then, and I'm also not opposed to, to, to mixing a cocktail in, but I don't really like to to mix cocktails and beers. I might start with a cocktail, then, then move to beers. So uh, the cocktail, though, I, I'm not as much about, I think, I'm, I'm more of a beer guy on game day. Um, and then uh, when it comes to uh, the food itself, I mean, if I, I guess if I had to pick my ideal, I would go with something barbecue related. Um, something that you can either uh, eat off a bone like a, a chicken wing or a rib or something that you could put onto a sandwich to roll like a pulled pork or brisket. But I think the key is not having to, to need, you know, a place to – put a plate down so that you can use two hands. You should be able to do whatever you can do at a tailgate with one hand. So holding the plate with one hand, uh, either handheld food or one utensil food with the other. But if you require two utensils, it's probably not ideal. Yeah, I agree. And just to take it one step further with the food, it's like you said, just make it, put some effort in. Don't half-ass it. And, and more to the point, like have one main thing at your tailgate. So when... I see a buddy later in the week and they say, oh, what did Ryan have at the tailgate? I can say he had this. And, you know, it's just like one main thing. Oh, he had chicken wings or he had ribs or he had sandwiches or he had fish or he had whatever it is. Just make that sort of the centerpiece that you put a lot of your effort in that, you know, 80% of the people that come to the tailgate are going to enjoy. So I think that's an important thing. I think sometimes people get carried away with having too many things. We're going to have this, that, and the other. You're going to have six, seven, eight things. And, you know, you're outside, you're eating. You know, we're not looking for Thomas Keller to show up and cook me a five-star meal. Just have something passable, like one main thing that most everybody can enjoy. And then if you want to have a couple side things or, or you know, something to compliment or whatever it is, that's good too. But I think just sort of the building the whole tailgate spread about around one, maybe two things is clearly clearly the way to go. And then you also aren't going to frustrate yourself if you're the person throwing the tailgate. It can get frustrating, you know, if you're out there cooking or whether you're 
preparing it the night before. You don't want to completely kill yourself. Make it simple and just make it good. You know, simplicity and, and good, I, I think, are the, are the, two, the, the two main ingredients. And, and I think you nailed it. And I also think, and you, you know, there's one more component to that. Make it too challenging when you get there. If, like, if there are too many cooking elements, like things can go wrong. It's like being camping. You have to like have a very simple preparation. Like, have I mean a grill obviously reliable ready to go but you shouldn't have to do too much once you get there and like that's why my friend Jeff's gumbo was such a great thing he like he basically he got it started the night before right. uh and so so that all the you know flavors were going and then just put a big lid on it brought it down and all he had to do was cook rice and then and then heat up the gumbo but it was you know it it was an incredible tailgate meal and it was just basically that and he and he had like a like these buffalo chicken chicken wing appetizers, and it was it was that simple, but it was really well done. Yeah, uh, I easy think, to I, do. I think we're on the same page. And as far as the beer and the drink goes, I completely agree with you. Maybe have one or two nice beers, and then just one other beer, like Miller Lite, Budweiser, Coors Light, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, have that. And then, yeah, I think it's good to have some cocktails. Some people don't necessarily want beer. It's nice to have cocktails, but you don't need to be fancy. Again, go with, like, vodka or bourbon, like, either white or dark. If you really want to do it up, go with both. And then just have, like, one or two mixers for both. We're not looking for, like, you know, a full bar experience. Just let me be able to make a drink if I want it. That's all That's all we need. And then you're not killing yourself in, in terms of expense and preparation. And, you know, simple and good. I think those are the two main things that you want to keep in mind if you're the person that's throwing the tailgate. And then, you know, the other thing, too. It seems like these days, if you don't have a TV with a satellite hookup out there, you know, you don't have a good tailgate. I'm not of that. You know, if, if you're going and you're really expecting to be able to watch all of the other games... You're kind of barking up the wrong tree. It's great if you do yeah, have a Yeah, that's t- what sports bars are for. Yeah, I mean if you want that just don't just don't go so early, you know, hang out at the bar and then maybe don't go to the tailgate. But I just think that people now who expect to be able to go out there and just watch games all day, it's a little much. And it, you know, it's expensive and it's you got to have a big truck to be able to haul of, haul all of that out there. I'm perfectly fine if you if you just have no TV. Maybe you play a game or two on the radio on your car speaker, and then everybody can just kind of hang out and talk, which is really the best part of the tailgate anyway. It's just bringing people together, see some people you, you rarely get to see or don't get to see very much. I think that's you know really the point of the whole situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm... No, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, make it, uh, yeah, not not to belabor any of the points, but uh, but yeah, we I think we've I think we've covered it thoroughly and uh, appropriately. Agree, and we're coming in just at an hour and a half, which is very long. Uh, thanks everybody who's watching here. It's about ten ten on Monday night. It's time to go to bed. Appreciate everybody listening. Really do. We love you, and uh, we'll be back on Monday of next week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and as always, sleep tight. Good night now. Good night.